Our scripture lesson this morning comes out of the first letter of Peter, chapter 1, verse 3. I'm sure it's a familiar verse, but it's a verse that we could dwell on for weeks and weeks and weeks. Hear God's word, beginning with verse 3 through verse 8, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. You know, we at First Evangelical Presbyterian Church believe that the Bible is God's truth. Living, active, uniquely and fully inspired by His Holy Spirit. The only the only infallible way of faith and practice. So we need to know what it says. Let's pray a moment. Father, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, move within us, around us, surround us, Lord, so that we might be instructed, taught, taught at your hand, made to know how this passage can apply to our life, what you're speaking to us personally and as a church, how you want us to live in this world today. So speak to us, Lord. Show us, teach us. We give you all the praise and glory for it. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. You know, the letters of Peter, all of them, are about living in courage. He was speaking to to the Jews, the Christians who were in diaspora. They were scattered. They'd gone out of Jerusalem, been driven out with persecution. They were suffering, struggling trying to find meaning for their faith. It takes courage to face your problems. It takes courage to strive for holiness. It it takes courage to live for God. That was the world that the first century Christians found themselves in, and that increasingly is the world that we find ourselves in. A non-Christian world. Try to wear a t-shirt to school that has the word Jesus across the front of it and see how well that is received. Or even try to insinuate in the nicest way you can that God has anything to say about homosexuality or heterosexual promiscuity or that science or that science has compelling evidence for an intelligent designer. 
or that the book of Genesis may be true after all. It isn't that we simply disagree in the world you and I live in. Increasingly, the biblical or the God point of view isn't even allowed in the discussion. Like I said, it takes courage. It takes courage. But before we circle the wagons and we begin to think that it's the world against us and we're just that little remnant hiding out and holding our our ground... Let me remind you the words of John 16, the words of Jesus. In the world you will have tribulation. You know what that is, right? You've heard it. But take heart. Some versions say, be of good cheer even. I have overcome the world. It's past tense. Not I will, I have. Jesus has overcome the world. And that's what Peter is preaching That's what we so often forget. It isn't us against the world. It's the evil of the world against God. Against God. And and God has already won that battle. God has already won that battle on the cross and opened the kingdom doors to all who believe in His Son, Jesus. Followers of Christ, believers in God, Believers in His Word. We are not victims. We are victors. Victors. Look at what Peter says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Think about that. It isn't something we do on our own or by our own will. It isn't something that we have to get up every morning and and just repeat like a mantra so that we'll make sure we get it somehow into our inner being. It's because of our relationship with Jesus and God's great mercy that we are born again. One of the other translations says, says this way, that we have been given the privilege of being born again. You and I are privileged, in other words. I know that's a negative word these days in some of the culture we live in. We have an unfair advantage, and I think we ought to be sort of happy about that. We have an unfair advantage, but it's given by God to be blessed in this world. Did you know that? You have a leg up. In a sense, God's children, as, as Christians, you and I, we're not better than anyone else, but we are very much better off. <laughs> That's not because of anything we've done. As Paul told the Ephesians, lest any of us should boast. Not something we brag in of ourselves but it's something that we just praise and thank God for. It's because of that relationship we have with Jesus or that Jesus has with us, and it's because of God's great mercy. That's what Peter is saying. And according to Peter, one of the very first privileges that you and I have, one of the very first advantages that you and I have 
is a life filled with wonderful expectations. Or as he says in verse 3, born again to a living hope. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If Jesus has the power over death, he certainly has the power over life. Wouldn't you agree? If he can conquer death, if he can conquer that greatest of enemies, then he certainly can conquer the challenges and, and, the, and the things that you and I face from day to day. They're small potatoes compared to that. Paul wrote in Romans 8, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The resurrection of Jesus assures us of what Peter called a living hope, a life, a wonderful life, with an expectation for the future. And this expectation is is not based on the performance of the Dow Jones or whatever the stock market might be doing or not doing. It's not based on some political election. You know, you listen these days, you'd think that the next election that's coming is still way way out there is going to be the most critical election in the history of the world. Well, it may be critical, it may be, you know, important, all those kinds of things. I won't deny that, but it's not going to be the end of the world. God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. This living hope is based on the assurance, on the fact that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that He has and He alone has power over sin and death. A living hope. Another word we might might say for that would be optimism even. Believers have permission to be optimistic, have permission to be hopeful, expectant. In fact, I would say believers have an have, a, have an obligation to be, to be optimistic. If we believe what the Bible says about Jesus Christ and, and His future for this world, then optimism is the only option, really. Jesus has a purpose. We have a purpose. He has a plan. God has a plan. His plan of redemption, it won't be frustrated And that's something we should be be excited about, ecstatic about. We must live our lives in hope. That's what living hope means. Living hope. Every believer should live with the assurance that the best is yet to come. You know, I don't really care how old we are or how young we are. We, We normally think the best is yet to come for young people, right? But oh, no. The best is yet to come for any of us. You might have had a great race, a wonderful journey. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Think about that. Regardless of how today looks, regardless of how tomorrow looks, the best is yet to come. Peter talks of our inheritance here, and and he he says our priceless inheritance. Look at 4 and 5. That this imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. It's in a lockbox right there for us. 
can't be, can't be tampered with, can't be lost. He doesn't say much more about this inheritance. He doesn't describe it in detail because I believe it can't be described. It's beyond words, beyond comprehension. He says in verse 11, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be, in, in his words, yours or ours, that grace, those prophets who prophesied about that grace, he said, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Then in verse 12, he goes on to say that these are things upon which the angels long to look. So they didn't know either. Peter is saying that our inheritance is so much more than, than just the fact that we're going to live for eternity. Oh yes, our inheritance is measured so much more than just quantity of time. It's measured by the quality of experience beyond our ability to even imagine. You'll be around me long enough to know that I have several possibility texts, and I shared, I've shared them with the staff when we meet. You know, God is a possibility God. And I love that passage in 1 Corinthians 2.9 where he says, I has not seen, nor he heard, nor heart of man conceived, when some versions say imagined even, what God has prepared for those who love him. Man, that's good. That's good. In a hostile world, you and I, as believers in Jesus, we have an advantage. We have been privileged. We have a wonderful expectation for the future. We have an assurance, a guarantee, a living hope. Not only that the future that's going to be experienced in this life, but, but also the future that's going to be experienced for all eternity. I mean, think about it. Try to put your mind around that a little bit. Peter says, in this you rejoice. And I think, oh, that's such a little word, rejoice. I mean, you go ecstatic, you know, you jump up and down and you shout. I know that's not Presbyterian kind of stuff, but, you know, we might try it someday. When that word gets inside of you and, and it starts to become your heartbeat, then you do jump up and down. You don't know what to say. You're just rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, he says, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In other words, we're living in a sinful world. We're living in a sinful world. And it's all going to be all around us, and it's going to get on us, and it's going to get around us, and it's going to be part of the world we, we have to deal with. There are consequences. There's brokenness. For a little while. For a little while. Let me say something about that if necessary phrase there. The word if, that word is translated if, is, is exactly the, the same word that I used in Romans 8.11 earlier that Paul uses. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. It's the same word that was used in Matthew that said, if God so clothes the, the, the uh, uh, grass of the field, you know, then he'll take care of you. Remember that passage in 
Matthew 6? Or if, if, uh, we have, if Christ has died, to, to, if we have died to Christ, then we're going to, in Romans 6, 8, then we're going to have a glorious life. You know, th- th- that if can also mean, and most often means in English, also since. Since. It's not a word that's variable. God, we know, does close the field, you know. But we use the word if in English. But it can also be since. And so think about that when you see that little word in Scripture, especially when it's talking about God. And when we talk about in this passage, if necessary, you could, you could say since necessary. Because we're going to have various trials. It's not, not maybe. We will. We will. Some will be worse than others. But we will. Since necessary. And it's necessary because of the fall. Necessary because of the fall. But that brings us to the second advantage. That second privilege that God gives us. And that is that that our problems, your problems, my problems, they, they all have a purpose. They all have a purpose. When we think of persecution, we think of being burned to the stake or, or something terrible like that, killed, imprisoned. And, and, you know, that happens in our day. Not burned at the stake much, but we, we do know people. Andrew uh, Brunson was imprisoned in Turkey a few years ago. And uh, so we have that happening. People are imprisoned all around this world for their faith. And they are killed for their faith. That's, what, that's part of what Peter was talking about. But there's so much more. That's not the only way we suffer. And that's not the way that you and I most, most often are going to suffer. Some believers are going to experience brutality and, 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 and fierce persecution before, beyond what we can even imagine. But most of us are going to be ridiculed or mocked. Most of us are going to be deprived certain privileges. Our culture is not necessarily going to stand straight in front of us. It's just going to stand on the side. And throw rocks, ridicule, condensation. That's the kind of ridicule in person. That's the kind of persecution that we will most often receive. So when Peter says all kinds of trials or various trials, he's meaning those trials of every shape and size. Those big problems, little problems, serious problems, insignificant problems, painful problems, annoying problems. He's talking about not only persecution physically, but he's talking about our health problems. He's talking about financial problems, relationship problems, job problems, money problems, which for a little while, while we're here on this earth, will frustrate us, will chase after us. But here's what I want you to notice. Our problems are not without meaning or purpose. They serve us, and they serve our God in a very special way. Our problems have a point, have a point. Those various trials, as Peter described them, are, are tests, if you would. They're tests. Verse 7, they're, they're testing the, the genuineness of our faith. Now, there's an important distinction here to make about this test of faith. Who is the test for? Who is the test for? Is it for God? As if God doesn't know how sincere your faith is? Unless He gives you some sort of an exam? Oh, God knows. 
God knows everything. He doesn't have to give you an exam to figure that out. No, that test isn't for God. The test is for, for us, for you, for me. That's what the test is for. And, and it's to show us where we're strong and, and maybe where we're a little weak. It's God's tool to, to, to sanctify us, that nice big church word, to make us more holy, to grow us in faith. It's God's tool to help us become the people that He's called us to be. That by one degree of glory we talk about, He is making us to be. And it's also, not only just for us, but it's for those who are looking in all around us. They see the difference in how God in us allows us to deal with the persecutions the troubles, the trials, the situations of this world. It's a great part of our testimony. Maybe that's our main testimony. That's the reality of the world that, that others live in, non-believers. And what can we show them is how we can live in that world in Christ with a living hope, with a living hope. That's why Paul says that he gloried in suffering, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, I mean, we have it so many places. Uh, uh, I think it was uh, James says, count it all joy when, when, you, when you have to suffer and, and everything for, for the cause of Christ. Our problems have a point. And that point, as Peter goes on to say, is that our lived out hope, our lived out faith, verse 7, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Praise, glory, and honor to God, not to ourselves, to God, at the revelation, not just at the end of time, although he talks about last times, but now. Jesus is being revealed now to those who don't know him, and even to us, more and more and more. You and I go through all kinds of problems all kinds, and they have a point. That's one of the benefits of being a believer, that there's a reason. There's a, there's a point to our problems. There's a reason for our problems. There's a reason. There's a purpose. You know, I've often, I don't know if I've told you this, but I'll tell everybody this. I've oft, I like to be the Star Trek kind of, kind of person, Christian. When I say yes to Jesus, he beams me up, and I go right to heaven. Wouldn't that have been nice? You know, in some ways, I mean, heaven's a good place. It's, it's, trust me. Why couldn't we just go when we believe? No, God leaves us here. And some of us get left here a long time. Some of us would like to have gone on a long time ago. How come? How come I'm here? What are you here for? What's your purpose? What's the point that you struggle along day after day after day? What's the point... When you, when you get a, a bad diagnosis, what's the point when, when you go through brokenness with, with relationships, whether it's with a spouse or with children? What, what's the point? What's the purpose? There is a point in the purpose. And, and we've just talked about it so that God can be glorified in how you respond. And so the world that looks in can see Jesus. They won't all do that. They won't all do that. 
But your purpose and my purpose is to be living testimonies of Jesus Christ in this world. So that as Paul said, by any means or by all means, some might be saved. That was his purpose. He knew it. He understood it. He understood it well. A third piece, a third advantage that we need to not miss is in verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. God protects us in the process every step of the way. While he doesn't beam us up when, you know, went to heaven when we first say yes to Jesus and believe with all our heart. He leaves us here and protects us. That's what Peter's saying. That's good news, living in a persecuted world. That's good news. God is protecting me every step of the way. By His power, we are guarded. We are guarded. When Peter refers to a salvation in that verse 5, he's not talking about receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's already done. He's talking to believers. He's talking to people who already accept Him as their Lord and Savior. He's talking about the ultimate salvation, the final salvation, if you would, when we see Him face to face, when we are forever changed into His likeness, when we begin the the journey of spending eternity in His perfect presence. Until that ultimate salvation, Peter says, By God's power, you and I, we are being guarded, protected. In the Greek, the word is a military term. The connotation is not that God just helps us endure the problem as much as it is that God helps us defeat the problem. You're not in this battle by yourself. We're not waging war with this world. Remember, I said earlier, it's God's battle and He's already won it. He's already won it. God is with you. And He will protect you from the enemies without, and He will protect you from the enemy within. And that's sometimes the worst one. He will protect you from persecution and trials that the world will inflict, and He'll protect you from your own personal self-destruction. The key, Peter says, is that you trust in Him. Through faith. You and I go through all kinds of problems in life. That's not a newsflash. In our home, in our marriage, in our business, financial, health, all those things, all those, those very real challenges. Some are big, some are little, some we make bigger than they are. Everybody has problems. But the good news is that those who are born again, God's words, those who are born again, as Peter says, people who know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, we have an advantage in this world. We have the assurance, might I say even guarantee, from the one who has power over life and death that our problems only last a little while. We live with a wonderful expectation of a living hope that the future, our future on this earth and our future in eternity is all in God's hands, all in His hands. We live with the assurance that our problems have a point, they have a purpose, that it's not just case sera, it's not just out there going to happen and 
we just have to deal with it and roll with the punches. No, they have a purpose. They serve to teach us and they to, and help us to perfect our faith. And they also serve as a testimony to the world about us of who Jesus is and what Jesus wants to do in the life of every person who will receive him. They bring praise and glory and honor, as Peter said, to our God. And we live with the assurance that in the midst of our problems, in the worst of them, God has promised to protect us. God has promised to guard us every step of the way. You know, Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What hope. What a life. What a life. What a privilege it is for you and for me, for all of us who believe to live for Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank